good morning and welcome to Riverside Calvary Chapel. Um, my name is Cole. I'm the youth and young adult pastor here, and I'm going to be sharing the word this morning. So uh, if you want to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6, we've been going through a series on the Sermon of the Mount, which is the best sermon ever preached. Um, and it really is because it comes directly from Jesus, you know. This is the, um, the words of Jesus that we're looking at today and we have been looking at for the past uh, month and, and a bit. But yeah, so this sermon was preached in the early days of Jesus' ministry when he was just starting to call his disciples to follow him and he was starting to acquire a lot of other attention from people that were just interested in hearing what he would have to say, the teachings that he would give, and the miracles he was working. He was starting to acquire a big mass following, and it says in the, at the very start of the sermon, the sermon is recorded in Matthew's cha- Matthew chapter 5 through 7, but the first verse of the sermon, it says this, and seeing the multitudes, he went up on a hill, on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. So we know at this point of Jesus' ministry, he is gathered with his disciples in the region of Galilee, which is in the northern Israel around the Sea of Galilee, which is a body of water, a big old lake. And um, it's a very hilly region. So when Jesus noticed that there was a lot of people that were just following him and there where he was, he walked up uh, atop a hill and sat down and his disciples came to him. I'm sure his 12 were there first and then Maybe some of the other multitude of people gathered as well just to hear what he would have to say. And what he would say was this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount that we read here. Um, And one thing I wanted to note is that this sermon isn't an evangelistic sermon. Not like what Peter preached in Acts chapter 2 where a thousand people got saved there in Jerusalem. Uh, No, this is more of a discipling sermon. The attention is... Um, for believers who were already following Jesus to learn and grow and get built up so that they can be more like Christ and know about God's kingdom and their place that they fit in the kingdom. And that's like what we've titled this series is um, The Kingdom Way. And that's what we're learning about going through it. So we're picking it up in chapter 6. So far we've looked at themes that Jesus talked about like murder, adultery, divorce, love and retaliation, and that's only in chapter 5. And there's a bit of a shift here that we're going to look at, um, whereas in chapter 5, all of those things that Jesus talked about focus on the inner attitudes of the believer, and here where we're picking up in chapter 6, we're looking at our outward activities as believers. So these are the righteous actions that we do for our faith, you know, the, the different activities that we partake in to show that we are saved and we want to live for Christ and we want to make him known in our lives. So a um, little breakdown, a little breakdown that I wanted to give you for what we will be looking at. Two of the righteous actions we'll look at in our text today is giving and prayer. So the thing that Jesus wants to make known to us is that there is both a right way to do these things and a wrong way. You know, and the distinction there, in order to do the right way, which is what we should want to do, is we need to have a genuine heart. God wants sincerity from those who follow him. And that's what I've titled my message. If you wanted a title for notes, it's a genuine heart. So let's look at our text, the beginning here. We're going to pick it up in uh, verse 1 of Matthew chapter 6. It says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men, 
to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly. So when I was going through this question, this, sorry, when I was going through this passage, a question came to my mind, and that is, why, what's like the biggest reason people have for not coming to church, you know? And maybe you've been in a situation where you asked a friend or a family member um, this question, hey, why don't you go to church? Maybe they've never gone to church. Maybe they used to go to church, but maybe don't anymore. But the answer that I came up with is that why don't people come to church is probably because of all the hypocrites in the church, you know? At least that's what I've heard. That's the, that's the most common answer that I get when I ask people is like, oh, I don't go to church because church is full of hypocrites, you know? And, and you know what? There is some truth to that, right? I think we might be able to agree that, that we're not perfect, you know? Um, we're all sinners, you know? We're coming here. We come to church. We gather together to learn and grow and get built up so that we can be made more like Christ, right? That's the point of why we come. So yeah, I believe that there's hypocrites in the church, but there's always room for more, you know? So, so let's be those that keep inviting people to come out, you know? Keep encouraging people in our lives to come to church because that's what this is for. We, we gather together so that we can be taught directly from the Word of God, from Jesus, and to be made more like Him, amen? So, so here we look at giving, this, this theme, this righteous action that that should be a part of believers' lives, of the life of a believer. And Jesus here contrasts the hypocrite with the genuine believer. See, the hypocrite often does things to be seen by men, whereas the genuine believer does these things to the glory of God. You know, that's what we should desire to be, the genuine believer, the believer that serves and does these actions with a genuine heart. Um, it says right there in the first verse, do not do your charitable deeds before men you know, because we're supposed to do it to God and for God. See, the hypocrite is motivated by the need to be respected by others, and the genuine believer is motivated from a pure place in their heart to exalt their Savior. And that word hypocrite comes from the Greek word hypocrite, which means it's a name given to actors in Roman or Greek theater at this time that would... Um, they would play a character and they would put on a mask to portray the emotion of their character to the audience, you know, so that the audience knows what kind of character they're playing on stage, right? And Jesus uses this word, this word hypocrite, in reference to the Pharisees, right? The religious leaders of his day who would go around and do these righteous actions to be seen by men, you know? They wanted to be respected. They know, hey, since I'm a religious leader, a lot, of, a lot of Jews and people that are following after my religion, they're looking up to me, you know, so I got to put on a show for them. And they would put on this mask because it, hide it, it hid their true intentions, you know. They weren't serving the Lord from a genuine heart. They were serving the Lord out of, I mean, they were doing these actions out of the need to be respected by their community. And that's the wrong part. That's, that's not the way to go about it, you know. Um, and just to put it in context here, the, the Pharisees would 
would, would, they would give. They were very giving, but their intentions were off. You see, in the synagogues and in the temple, they had offering boxes where they can, where they can donate and, and um, they could put their, their coins in and it would make a sound when the coins hit the bottom, right? And the bigger the donation, the louder the sound, right? So the Pharisees would go in donating big, big donations so that they can be heard by the men in the area. And eventually that wasn't enough for them because I, I read that they would... They would um, also go into the streets when they felt like they wanted to give. They wanted to give to the, the poor and needy, right? Um, they would go into the streets with the gifts and the donations that they had, and they would carry with them a trumpet. And when they would get to the, the areas in the neighborhood that they were like, hey, this is where everybody is, this is where I'm going to give, they would sound the trumpet and people would come to them, and then they would give in that way. So it was just a spectacle, you know? And our faith shouldn't be a spectacle to be seen by other people, right? It, which should be, it should be solely to give God the glory, you know? That's the genuine place in our heart that we're talking about, you know? Um, so as Christians, we're called to live our lives in an honorable way, and serving others and doing charitable deeds are part of that. But let's ask ourselves the fundamental question. It all comes down to this question, what's motivating us, you know? What's motivating me to do this thing? Am I doing it for others, or am I doing it for God. And I wanted to bring up this verse. We looked at this uh, a couple weeks ago. It says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This is what Jesus is saying, right? So here Jesus says, um, let men see your good works, right? Like let your lights shine before men so that they can see your good works, right? So how does this fit into the picture here? Jesus is saying that we should let our good works be seen by men because that's our witness, right? Like our lives are a witness of Jesus. But we can't let our good works be done for men. You know, our good works should be done for God and for God alone. So what's motivating us, you know? That's the distinction Jesus is making here. And this is so relevant for us today, you know? It can be expanded beyond giving. Think of other Think of other righteous actions in the church that can be abused for self-gain. I, I have a few got, you know, worship, serving, and teaching, you know, just to name a couple. In many ways that we can serve inside and outside the church, we need to ask ourselves, what's my motivation? Why am I motivated to do this, you know? Are my motivations pure? I remember as a kid growing up in the church and asking my parents, um, asking my parents a question during worship because I was noticing a lot of adults and people in my church raising up their hands during worship, and I was like, "What's that about?" Maybe you've had a similar point in, in your faith in the beginning days of your faith where you're like, "What's up with these people raising hands during worship?" And I would ask my parents, and they told me, "Oh, well, people raise their hands during worship." as an act of worship. You know, it's a position that you take to, to exalt God, you know? And it's not, it's not to be done for the show of the people around you. You're not supposed to raise your hands to impress people around you, you know? They were like really dumbing it down for me because I was a little kid, you know? And they're like, they're like you raise your hands as a, as a position to say, hey, God, here's my offering of praise to you. And so I was like, oh, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I, I kind of contemplated that for years until I was a teenager and starting to take my faith more seriously, and I found myself, you know, trying to raise my hands a bit and doing it here and there, and I started doing it more and more. It started to feel more and more natural until 
I, I came to the, the question, hey, what's my motivation? Am I, am I raising my hands for the sake of those around me to be respected by the other members of my church? Or am I actually raising my hands because I truly want to praise my God? You know, I truly want to exalt the name of Jesus, you know? And I still do that to this day. I, I, I got to keep myself in check. Am I raising my hands as a genuine position of worship to my God? And that's good to ask ourselves stuff like that. And it can even happen at the pulpit, you know? If I'm standing up here with the intention to impress you all with the nice encouraging word this morning, rather than being led by the Spirit to speak the word God has prepared in my heart so that He alone can get the glory, then, then I'm in the wrong, right? And so is any other pastor, preacher, teacher, or speaker who does the same. If they do it for themselves, they're in the wrong. It should only be done for God. Do not do your deeds before men. Do it to God. Jesus tells us that when we do a charitable deed, in verse 4, if you want to look, look at it for reference, when we do a charitable deed, it should be done in secret so that God will see and reward us openly. And just to go along with that, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, Therefore we make it our aim, with it, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. So just in reference to the concept that God is going to reward us openly, when he sees us doing these charitable deeds in secret, he's going to reward us openly, right? Because unlike the hypocrites where the respect of men is their reward, if we do these things in secret for God, then we have a greater reward. We have a heavenly reward. God's going to reward us openly for that. But our intentions matter, right? If we're doing it for the wrong reasons, we're not going to receive the reward that we might have thought we, we would. Um, he says... One will, may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad, you know? And that reminds me of how I believe that there's Christians out there who there's, there's not very much to their faith, unfortunately. They might come to church every week or once in a while, but beyond that, there's really no aspects of their faith. And that Christian's not going to receive any of these rewards that we're talking about here as a in comparison to the Christian that takes their faith seriously and has these works to back it up and, and serves God with all with their purest heart, right? They're going to be rewarded accordingly for that. And the choice is up to us, what we want to do with our lives and how we want to serve Him. And it goes without saying, the greatest reward is just to be spending eternal life with our Heavenly Father, you know? Everything on top of that is a bonus that we don't deserve, but... God says he's promised. It's we, he wants to reward us for how we serve him in this life. So I pray that we don't take that for granted. Um, but yeah, just to wrap up this giving section before we go on to the next part, praying, we need to make sure that whatever deeds and service we're doing, we are doing it from a genuine place in our hearts to simply give God the glory and to not receive glory from others. So Let's move on to the next section of prayer. Jesus then from here, when he talks about giving, talks about this topic of prayer, which in my opinion is one of the most important yet underused aspects of our faith. The sad reality is that 
Oftentimes, Christians don't pray enough. I know I can speak for myself here. I don't pray enough. Um, and it's really easy to feel guilty about that. Maybe we're good at saying a couple short prayers throughout the day, but when was the last time we, we actually sat down and made time to just sit with our Heavenly Father and just spend a good, solid time in prayer with Him? When was the last time we did that? I like what John Piper says. He wrote in his book, Let the Nations Be Glad, prayer is a primarily a wartime walkie-talkie for the mission of the church as it advances against the powers of darkness and unbelief. That paints a very powerful picture. But then he goes on to say, prayer malfunctions when we try to make it a domestic intercom to call upstairs for more comfort in the den. And it's kind of an interesting picture, right? It's amusing for me. I, I imagine, I'm not married, but I watch TV, so I know the stereotypes. And the, the picture paints for me is that, that, that dad, the middle-aged guy who has the man cave in the basement. You know, he's, he's watching the game down there, reclining on his lazy boy. He's got Coke in one hand, or Pepsi, if you prefer that, um, just for imagination's sake. And then he calls upstairs. He doesn't even go upstairs. He just dials on his phone, one of his family members, and like, hey, do you mind bringing the nachos down? And like, our, but our prayer should not be compared to that, right? Like our prayer, our prayer lives should be so much more, so much more of a powerful picture, like this, this wartime picture that we see, where it's a walkie-talkie. It's an essential thing to have for communication, you know? Prayer is, is our ability to connect with our Heavenly Father, our all-powerful God who wants to hear from us. So we must not underestimate the power of prayer, you know? Maybe we should pray more and, and, and push ourselves to spend more time in prayer because it's worth it. But let's read what it says in verse 5. It says, And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So different action here. We're talking about prayer. We were talking about giving. Now we're talking about prayer. Different action, but same, same point Jesus makes. And that point is, don't be a hypocrite, be genuine in your prayer life. Jesus says, when you pray, he says, when you pray, not should you, not you should pray, but, but when you pray. That's what he clearly says. He says, hey, when you pray, it's not a suggestion that Jesus makes. This is an expectation, right? Clearly, prayer is an essential part of the Christian life that Jesus expects all of us to do. It's something that that we need to do as, as believers, you know? Strengthen our prayer lives by spending more time communicating with, with God and just spending time in prayer. That's what Jesus calls us to do. When you pray, he says. Jesus is also clear when he suggests, um, he suggests we pray in secret, you know? That's another thing that he, he mentions. Why should we do that? Why should we go to a secret place? Why can't we just pray anywhere? Well, we can pray anywhere, but this is what Jesus suggests. He says, hey, it's better for you to pray in a secret place. And why is that? Because that's when we are our true selves, right? And when we're in secret, that's, that's, 
the purest form of who we are, right? There's no putting up a mask like the Pharisees do when we're in a secret place because God will see right through that, unlike whoever else we're putting on the mask for. Um, when we pray in public, it is tempting to put that mask on and pray in a way to impress those around us. But when we're in secret, that's who we really are, right? And that's the most genuine form that we can go before God in prayer, you know? And it's, we need to work on that to be able to pray like that all the time, but the secret place is the best place for that. Just get alone somewhere. Get alone so it's just you and your God. It's way more intimate that way. It says in verse 7, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. So we read there that our prayers should not be vain. They should mean something. That word vain means empty. Our, the words that we pray to God should not have empty meaning. They should mean something to us. They should be meaningful to us. When we pray to God, our words should be sincere, you know? And if it becomes repetitive, it can lose its sincerity. That's what we got to watch out for. Um, our, sorry. So often we think that if we pray for a large amount of time, the more impressed God will be with us, but that's not always true. If we're filling our prayers up with empty words, it's just as if we're praying in vain repetitions. And that's kind of what the Pharisees did, the the. The Pharisees would often memorize different prayers and they would recite them regularly. And that was their prayer life for the most part. They would, they would recite these repetitions, but they would just become empty words because they carried no meaning with it. Maybe they did for the first couple times, but after the hundredth time, it's hard to carry that meaning on with it. That's, that's the danger that the Pharisees were in. And then other times when uh, I, I, I'm guilty of this too, and I sometimes make myself laugh a bit because I think it's funny, but sometimes when I'm praying, I'm, I'm very descriptive in the details of the different requests that I bring before God, you know, like, oh, my friend needs prayer because he's sick with this flu, and like, oh, his name is this, and he lives over here, and like, but God doesn't need that information. He's God. He knows, like, and, and it, I don't need to be so specific with my problems and my issues because God already knows them. God knows all the problems, right? It says, for the Father knows the things you need of before you ask him. You know, I love the way John Corson says it. He says, we don't need to inform the Lord nor convince the Lord. We just need to connect with the Lord. And that's the fundamental thing, the way that we can approach prayer and the fundamental understanding we can have about what prayer is. It's, it's connecting with the Lord. It's just going to him and conversing with him, communing with him. Next thing we read is what's called the Lord's Prayer, if you've never heard of it, but it is the most famous prayer ever. Um, and with it, Jesus teaches his disciples to pray. And I love, in Luke's gospel, Luke writes, writes this same prayer down. He, he, he accounts for it, but he begins in a different way, and I wanted to share the way he does. This is Luke chapter 11, verse 1 says, before Luke writes the Lord's Prayer, it says, Now it came to pass, as he was praying in a certain place, when he sees that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And I think it's, that's just awesome, the, 
the, the desire to go to the Lord and just ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. Um, it's interesting that this is the only time recorded in Scripture that the disciples specifically asked Jesus to teach them to do something. They're like, Jesus, teach us how to pray. Of all the things, it's prayer. And I can see why, knowing the character of Jesus, knowing how he lived his life during his short time on earth, um, how much of an aspect prayer was in his life. The disciples spending this, much, this amount of time with Jesus, day in and day out, seeing the amount of time Jesus spent in prayer, I'm sure that would make them want to replicate it. They would want to replicate this habit of prayer that Jesus had. And shouldn't we want to replicate that too? As we learn more about Jesus and, and spend time in his word and draw nearer to him, shouldn't we, want to desire, shouldn't we desire to have that same motivation to pray as Jesus did? I think so. I think it's so worth it, but, but yeah, let's, let's, we got to do that. We just need to pray more and allow Jesus to take root in our heart and give us that desire to pray. Um, but let's read the Lord's Prayer here, starting in verse 9. It says, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Beautiful prayer. Gets me every time. Um, doesn't get old for me. But, um, but here Jesus is laying out to his disciples, hey, this is how you are to pray. You know, and oftentimes I think this prayer gets misunderstood by, by certain people. Jesus prays this prayer as the template for how we are to pray. You know, you got it all there. He starts off by going to the Father and declaring his name um, as, as holy. It says, hallowed be your name um, by, 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 by just exalting him as who he is, our God, our Savior, our, our holy uh, Father in heaven. And then it goes on from there to, to make those supplications, those, those asking, askings of God for help. When we are to pray, we are to pray to God and to him alone. The point of our prayers is to communicate with him, and we can praise him for who he is and what he's done through it because he is worthy. We can make our requests known to him, but our prayers should always mean something to us. And so many people, um, this, is what I, this is what I was saying, people sometimes misunderstand this prayer because so many people take this prayer and recite it regularly. And that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's a good thing as long as we carry meaning with it. You know, the scriptures don't forbid meaningful repetition, but if we become like the Pharisees who memorize different prayers and recite them regularly and we begin to lose that meaning and we're not genuine with our recitations and repetitions there, then it be can become a vain thing. Just like what Jesus warns us in verse 7. Do not pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do. Because this prayer directly from the mouth of the Lord, if it comes from our mouth and it's empty and we're not genuine with it, it becomes a vain repetition, and we're praying just as the heathen do. 
So the scriptures don't forbid meaningful repetition, but they do forbid vain repetition. So we need to be careful when we pray this and whenever we pray that our prayers mean something to us and we're genuine in it and we're motivated by the right motivations. Um, I got this little breakdown because you can spend so much time unpacking this prayer and there's so much you could say but so little time. I'm almost, my time's almost up, but um, I did get this breakdown from my dad that I wanted to share um, that kind of goes through this prayer and, and talks about some different, different meanings from it. So as you pray this prayer, you know, when you do pray this prayer, consider the person who is our Father, praise is that he is worthy, the purpose that his will be done here on earth, the provision that God will supply our needs, the pardon that we've been forgiven, so let us forgive, his protection to keep us from sin and harm, and his preeminence that he reigns forevermore. You reign, Lord. So just keep that in mind as, as, as you go through um, that prayer, because it is a beautiful prayer, and it can be recited, and it is beautiful when it is recited, but make sure it means something. We're going to finish up with verses 14 and 15. Um, it says, and out of all the things that Jesus touched on in that prayer, I think it's fascinating how the author of Matthew talks about what he talked about in verse 12. Forgiveness. He goes on, he follows up the prayer with these verses on forgiveness. It says in verse 14, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. As Christians, we're called to forgive. Forgiveness is something we're, we're all called to do. And it's easier said than done for some. I can understand that. It's hard for us to forgive others at times. Some of us like to hold the things, hold things against people that have wronged us, you know, hold on to them and hold grudges against them. But to forgive means to let go and move on, to clean the slate just like God has done for us. Um, I'm going to call the worship team up and we're going to end on a song. But just to, just to talk about that, a bit more, why should we forgive? Because we have been forgiven. That's the basic answer. Because we have been forgiven, um, God has wiped out our great debt. Um, we've been, we're walking in forgiveness now. We're, 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 we're walking in light of him. We're walking in new because of the forgiveness that God has shown to each and every one of us. And if we expect mercy from God, then we have to show mercy to others. Simple as that. Whatever it is that we may be holding against somebody is, is small. It's tiny compared to all the things that God has forgiven us for. And I get it. It's not easy. It's not easy depending on whatever it is you might be holding against somebody. You know, it's not easy to let that go. It's not easy to just forgive them. But it's something that we should do if we want to represent Christ in this world. So as we close in a song, I hope that we can think about that. We can just meditate on this a bit. And if there is somebody out there that comes to mind that maybe you haven't forgiven, um, that, that you're feeling compelled to, pray about it. Go to the Lord in prayer. Um, if we think that we're genuine when we're reading this Lord's Prayer, look at verse 12. 
and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you're genuine in saying that, that's what makes forgiveness possible for each of us. So, so yeah, why don't we all stand and we're going to sing this last song. And um, yeah, just go before the Lord together. I'm going to close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you for this word. I pray that you would continue to work through each one of our hearts and give us genuine hearts that serve you from the purest form, Lord. Um, I pray that you would just help us to grow in you through prayer, through giving, um, through forgiveness as well, God. Lead us to forgive those that have wronged us in the past, God, and to represent you through that, Lord, and give us strength, God. I pray that you would be exalted here today and exalted through our lives going out from here. Amen.